be sure to follow Send Me to Sleep on your preferred podcast player so you never miss an episode and a good night's rest. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the place to find a good night's rest. My name's Andrew, and I'm so pleased you've joined me tonight and taken this time for yourself to ensure you get a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood, Guy of Gisborne, by Howard Pyle. In tonight's story, Robin meets the intimidating figure of Guy of Gisborne. This story has been abridged to make it more suitable for sleep. If you haven't already, find a nice place to get cosy. Take a deep, relaxing breath. And settle your body in whatever way feels most comfortable. Now all you'll need to do is follow the sound of my voice. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Robin Hood and Guy of Gisborne A long time passed after the great shooting match, and during that time, Robin followed one part of the advice of Sir Robert Lee, to wit, that of being less bold in his comings and his goings. For though mayhap he may not have been more honest, as most folks regard honesty, he took good care not to travel so far from Sherwood that he could not reach it both easily and quickly. Great changes had fallen in this time, for King Henry had died and King Richard had come to the crown that had fitted him so well through many hard trials and through adventures as stirring as any that ever befell Robin Hood. But though great changes came, they did not reach to Sherwood's shades, for there Robin and his men dwelled as merrily as they ever had done, with hunting and feasting and singing and blithe woodland sports, for it was little the outside striving of the world there troubled them. The dawning of a summer's day was fresh and bright, the birds sang sweetly in a great tumult of sound. So loud was their singing that it awakened Robin Hood where he lay sleeping, so that he stirred and turned and arose. Up rose little John also, and all the merry men. Then, after they had broken their fast, they set forth hither and thither upon the doings of the day. 
Robin Hood and Little John walked down a forest path, where all around the leaves danced and twinkled as the breeze trembled through them, and the sunlight came flickering down. Quoth Robin Hood, I make my vow, Little John. My blood tickles my veins as it flows through them this gay morn. What sayest thou to our seeking adventures, each one upon his own account? With all my heart, said Little John, we have had more than one pleasant doing in that way, good master. Here are two paths. Take thou the one the right hand, and I will take the one to the left, and then let us each walk straight ahead till he tumble into some merry doing or other. I like thy plan, quoth Robin. Therefore we will part here. But look thee, little John, keep thyself out of mischief, for I would not have ill befall thee for all the world. Marry, come up, quoth little John. How thy talkest! Methinks thou art wont to get thyself into tighter coils than I am like to do. At this, Robin Hood laughed. Why, in sooth, little John, said he, thou hast a blundering hard-headed way that seemeth to bring thee right side uppermost in all thy troubles. But let us see who cometh out best this day. So saying, he clapped his palm to Little John's, and each departed upon his way, the trees quickly shutting the one from the other. Robin Hood walked through a beautiful woodland road, where the sun shone through the trees and created a golden hue of leaves. As he enjoyed the peaceful scenery, he stumbled upon a peculiar stranger who sat under an oak tree. The man wore a horse's hide from head to toe, including a cowl that hid his face and rabbit-like ears. He carried a broadsword, a dagger, and a quiver of arrows with his trusty U-bow leaned against the tree. Robin Hood stood still for a moment, observing the unusual figure before him. Hello, friend, cried Robin, coming forward at last. Who art thou that sitteth there, and what is that that thou hast upon thy body? I make my vow I have never seen such a sight in all my life before. Had I done an evil thing, or did my conscience trouble me? I would be afraid of thee, thinking that thou wast someone from down below, bringing a message, bidding me come straightway to King Nicholas. To this speech the other answered not a word, but he pushed the cowl back from his head and showed a knit brow, a hooked nose, and a pair of fierce, relentless black eyes, which altogether made Robin think of a hawk as he looked on his face. But beside this, there was something about the lines on the stranger's face, and his thin, cruel mouth, and the hard glare of his eyes, that made one's flesh creep to look upon. 
Who art thou, rascal? said he at last, in a loud, harsh voice. Tut, tut, quoth merry Robin. Speak not so sourly, brother. Hast thou fed upon vinegar and nettles this morning, that thy speech is so stinging? And thou likest not my words, said the other fiercely. Thou hast best be jogging, for I tell thee plainly, my deeds match them. Nay, but I do not like thy words, thou sweet, pretty thing, quoth Robin, squatting down upon the grass in front of the other. Moreover, I tell thee thy speech is witty and gamesome as any I ever heard in all my life. The other said not a word, but he glared upon Robin with a wicked and baleful look, such as a fierce dog bestows upon a man ere it springs at his throat. Robin returned the gaze with one of wide-eyed innocence, not a shadow of a smile twinking in his eyes or twitching at the course of his mouth. So they sat staring at one another for a long time, until the stranger broke the silence suddenly. What is thy name, fellow? said he. Now, quoth Robin, I am right glad to hear thee speak, for I began to fear the sight of me had stricken thee dumb. As for my name, it may be this, or it may be that. But methinks it is more meet for thee to tell me thine, seeing that thou art the greater stranger in these parts. Prithee, tell me, sweet Chuck, why wearest thou that dainty garb upon thy pretty body? At these words, the other broke into a short, harsh roar of laughter. By the bones of the demon Odin, said he, Thou art the boldest spoken man that ever I have seen in all my life. I know not why I do not smite thee down where thou sittest, for only two days ago I skewered a man over the back of Nottingham Town for saying not half so much. I wear this garb, thou fool, to keep my body warm. Likewise it is near as good as a coat of steel against a common sword thrust. As for my name, I care not who knoweth it. It is Guy of Gisborne, and thou mayst have heard it before. I come from the woodlands over in Herefordshire, upon the lands of the bishop of that ilk. I am an outlaw, and I get my living by hook and by crook in a manner it boots not now to tell of. Not long since the bishop sent for me, and said that if I would do a certain thing that the sheriff of Nottingham would ask of me, he would get me a free pardon, and give me ten score pounds to boot. So straightway I came to Nottingham town, and found my sweet sheriff. And what thinkest thou he wanted of me? Why? forsooth, to come here to Sherwood to hunt up one Robin Hood, also an outlaw, and to take him, alive or dead. 
It seemeth that they have no one here to face that bold fellow, and so sent all the way to Herefordshire, and to me, for thou knowest the old saying, Set a thief to catch a thief. As for the slaying of this fellow, it garleth me not a whit, for I would shed the blood of my own brother for the half of two hundred pounds. To all this Robin listened, and as he listened, his gorge rose. Well he knew of this guy of Gisborne, and of all the bloody and murdersome deeds that he had done in Herefordshire, for his doings were famous throughout all the land. Yet, although he loathed the very presence of the man, he held his peace, for he had an end to serve. Truly, quoth he, I have heard of thy gentle doings. Methinks there is no one in all the world that Robin Hood would rather meet than thee. At this, Guy of Gisborne gave a great harsh laugh. Why, quoth he, it is a merry thing to think of one stout outlaw like Robin Hood meeting another stout outlaw like Guy of Gisborne. Only in this case it will be of an ill happening for Robin Hood, for the day he meets Guy of Gisborne he shall die. But thou gentle, merry spirit, quoth Robin, dost thou not think that mayhap this Robin Hood may be the better man of the two? I know him right well, and many think that he is one of the stoutest men hereabouts. He may be the stoutest of men hereabouts, quoth Guy of Gisborne. Yet, I tell thee, fellow, this die of yours is not the wide world. I lay my life upon it, I am the better man of the two. He an outlaw, forsooth. Why, I hear that he hath never let blood in all his life, saving when he first came to the forest. Some call him a great archer. Marry, I would not be afraid to stand against him all the days of the year with a bow in my hand. Why, truly, some folk do call him a great archer, said Robin Hood. But we of Nottinghamshire are famous hands with the longbow. Even I, though but a simple hand at the craft, would not fear to try about with thee. At these words, Guy of Gisborne looked upon Robin with wondering eyes, and then gave another roar of laughter till the woods rang. Now, quoth he, thou art a bold fellow to talk to me in this way. I like thy spirit in so sparking up to me, for few men have dared to do so. Put up a garland, lad, and I will try about with thee. Tut, tut, quoth Robin, only babes shoot at garlands hereabout. I will put up a good Nottingham mark for thee. So saying, he arose, and going to a hazel thicket not far off, he cut a wand about twice the thickness of a man's thumb. From this he peeled the bark, and, sharpening the point, stuck it up in the ground in front of a great oak tree, 
Thence he measured off fourscore paces, which brought him beside the tree where the other sat. There, quoth he, is the kind of mark that Nottingham yearmen shoot at. Now let me see thy split that wand if thou art an archer. Then Guy of Gisborne arose. Now upon it, cries he, the devil himself could not hit such a mark as that. Mayhap he could, and mayhap he could not, quoth Merry Robin, but that we shall never know till thou hast shot thereat. At these words Guy of Gisborne looked upon Robin with knit brows, but, as the yeoman still looked innocent of any ill-meaning, he bottled his words and strung his bow in silence. Twice he shot, but neither time did he hit the wand, missing it the first time by a span, and the second time by a good palm's breadth. Robin laughed and laughed. I see now, quoth he, that the devil himself could not hit that mark. Good fellow, if thou art no better with the broadsword than thou art with the bow and arrow, thou wilt never overcome Robin Hood. At these words, Guy of Gisborne glared savagely upon Robin. Quoth he, Thou hast a merry tongue, thou villain, but take care that thou makest not too free with it, or I may cut it out from thy throat for thee. Robin Hood strung his bow and took his place with never a word, albeit his heartstrings quivered with anger and loathing. Twice he shot, the first time hitting within an inch of the wand, the second time splitting it fairly in the middle. Then, without giving the other a chance for speech, he flung his bow upon the ground. There, thou bloody villain, cried he fiercely. Let that show thee how little thou knowest of manly sports. And now look thy last upon the daylight, for the good earth hath been befouled long enough by thee, thou vile beast. This day, our lady willing, thou diest. I am Robin Hood. So saying, he flashed forth his bright sword in the sunlight. For a time, Guy of Gisborne stared upon Robin, as though bereft of wits. But his wonder quickly passed to a wild rage. Art thou indeed, Robin Hood? cried he. Now I am glad to meet thee, thou poor wretch. Shrive thyself, for thou wilt have no time for shriving when I am done with thee. So saying, he also drew his sword. The most intense battle in Sherwood Forest began, with neither man expecting mercy from the other. Robin Hood and Guy of Gisborne fought fiercely, causing the once green grass to be trampled and stained with blood. Robin's sword struck Guy more than once, but it was Guy who ultimately made a deadly thrust towards Robin. However, Robin leaped back and caught his heel on a root, falling to the ground. 
Despite being vulnerable, Robin managed to grab Guy's sword and turn it away. With his own sword in hand, Robin swiftly defeated Guy, who fell to the ground with a cry. Then Robin Hood wiped his sword and thrust it back into his scabbard, and, coming to where Guy of Gisborne lay, he stood over him with folded arms, talking to himself the while. This is the first man I have slain since I shot the king's forester in the hot days of my youth. I oft-times think bitterly, even yet, of that first life I took. But of this, I am as glad as though I had slain a wild boar that had lay waste a fair country. Since the Sheriff of Nottingham hath sent such a one as this against me, I will put on the fellow's garb and go forth to see whether I may not find his worship and perchance pay him back for some of the debt I owe him upon this score. So saying, Robin Hood stripped the hairy garments from off the dead man and put them on himself, all bloody as they were. Then, strapping the other's sword and dagger around his body and carrying his own in his hand, together with the two bows of yew, he drew the cowl of horse's hide over his head so that none could tell who he was, and set forth from the forest, turning his steps towards the eastward and Nottingham town. As he strode along the country roads, men, women, and children hid away from him, for the terror of Guy of Gisborne's name and of his doings had spread far and near. And now let us see what befell little John while these things were happening. Little John walked on his way through the forest path until he had come to the outskirts of the woodlands, where, here and there, fields of barley, corn, or green meadowlands lay smiling in the sun. So he came to the high road and to where a little thatched cottage stood back of a cluster of twisted crab trees, with flowers in front of it. Here he stopped of a sudden, for he thought that he heard the sound of someone in sorrow. He listened, and found that it came from the cottage, so, turning his footsteps hither, he pushed open the wicket and entered the place. There he saw a grey-haired dame sitting beside a cold heartstone, rocking herself to and fro and weeping bitterly. Little John, having a soft heart, comforted the old woman who was mourning the loss of her three sons, as she went on to explain. She revealed to him that they had been arrested and were to be hanged for poaching a deer which was found in their home by the king's rangers. The sheriff had declared to hang the first culprit court to put a stop to deer hunting, and the youths were taken to the king's head inn, where the sheriff awaited the return of someone he had sent into Sherwood to capture Robin Hood. To all this little John listened, shaking his head sadly now and then. 
alas, quoth he, when the good dame had finished her speech. This is indeed an ill case, but who is this that goest into Sherwood after Robin Hood, and why doth he go to seek him? But no matter for that now, only that I would that Robin Hood were here to advise us. Nevertheless, no time may be lost in sending for him at this hour, if we would save the lives of thy three sons. Tell me, hast thou any clothes thereabout that I may put on in place of these Lincoln Green? Marry, if our stout sheriff catcheth me without disguise, I am like to be run up more quickly than thy sons, let me tell thee, dame. Then the old woman told him that she had some clothes in her house of her good husband, who had died only two years before. These she had brought to little John, who, doffing his garb of Lincoln green, put them on in its stead. Then, making a wig and false beard of uncarded wool, he covered his own brown hair and beard, and putting on a great, tall hat that had belonged to the old peasant, he took his staff in one hand and his bow in the other, and set forth with all speed to where the sheriff had taken up his inn. A mile or more from Nottingham Town, and not far from the southern border of Sherwood Forest, stood the cosy inn bearing the sign of the King's Head. Here was a great bustle and stir on this bright morning, for the sheriff and a score of his men had come to stop there and await Guy of Gisborne's return from the forest. Great hiss and fuss of cooking was going on in the kitchen, and great rapping and tapping of wine kegs and beer barrels was going on in the cellar. The sheriff sat within, feasting merrily on the best the place afforded, and the sheriff's men had sat upon the bench before the door, quaffing ale, or lay beneath the shade of the broad-spreading oak tree, talking and jesting and laughing. All around stood the horses of the band, with a great noise of stamping feet and a great switching of tails. To this inn came the king's rangers, driving the widow's three sons before them. The hands of the three youths were tied tightly behind their backs, and a cord from the neck to the neck fastened them all together. So they were marched to the room where the sheriff sat at meat, and stood trembling before them as he scowled at them sternly. So, quoth he, in a great, loud, angry voice, ye have been poaching upon the king's deer, have you? Now I will make short work of you this day, for I will hang up all three of you, as a farmer would hang up three crows to scare others of the kind from the field. Our fair country of Nottingham hath been too long a breeding place for such naughty knaves as ye are. I have put up with these things for many years, but now I will stamp them out once for all, and with you I will begin. 
The sheriff silenced one of the poor fellows when he tried to speak and ordered his rangers to take them away until he had finished eating. After they were brought back out, the sheriff announced that they would be hanged in Sherwood Forest to show the outlaws what to expect if they were caught. The group travelled to the forest, where the three youths were hanged from an oak tree. The youths begged for mercy, but the sheriff laughed, wishing for a priest to absolve them of their sins. Instead, he told them to carry their sins with them to the deaths and hoped their Saint Peter would welcome them into heaven. In the meantime, while all this had been going forward, an old man had drawn near and stood leaning on his staff, looking on. His hair and beard were all curly and white. Across his back was a bow of yew that looked much too strong for him to draw. As the sheriff looked around here, he ordered his men to string the three youths up to the oak tree. His eyes fell upon this strange old man. Then his worship beckoned to him, saying, Come hither, father, I have a few words to say to thee. So little John, for it was none other than he, came forward, and the sheriff looked upon him, thinking that there was something strangely familiar in the face before him. How now, said he, methinks I have seen thee before. What may thy name be, father? Please, your worship, said little John, in a cracked voice like that of an old man. My name is Giles Hobble, at your worship's service. Giles Hobble, Giles Hobble, muttered the sheriff to himself, turning over the name that he had in his mind to try to find one to fit to this. I remember not thy name, said he at last, but it matters not. Hast thou a mind to earn sixpence this day? I, marry, quoth little John, for money is not so plenty with me that I should cast sixpence away, and I could earn it by an honest turn. What is it your worship would have me do? Why this, said the sheriff. Here are three men that need hanging as badly as any ever I saw. If thou wilt string them up, I will pay thee two pence apiece for them. I like not that my men-at-arms should turn hangmen. Wilt thou try thy hand? In sooth, said Little John, still in the old man's voice, I have never done such a thing before. But Anna Sixpence is to be earned so easily, I might as well have it as anybody. But your worship, are these naughty fellows shrived? Nay, said the sheriff, laughing. Never a wit, but thou mayst turn thy hand to that also, if thou art so minded. But hasten, I prithee, for I would get back to mine inn betimes. So little John came to where the three youths stood trembling, and put his face to the first fellow's cheek, 
as though he were listening to him. He whispered softly into his ear, Stand still, brother, when thou feelest thy bonds cut, but when thou seest me throw my woollen wig and beard from my head and face, cast the noose from thy neck and run for the woodlands. Then he slyly cut the cord that bound the youth's hands, who, upon his part, stood still as though he were yet bound. Then he went to the second fellow, and spoke in the same way, and also cut his bonds. This he did to the third likewise, but all so slyly, that the sheriff, who sat upon his horse laughing, wotted not what had been done, nor his men either. Then little John turned to the sheriff. Please, your worship, said he, will you give me leave to string my bow? for I would fain help these fellows along the way, when they are swinging, with an arrow beneath the ribs. With all my heart, said the sheriff, only as I said before, make thou haste in thy doings. Little John put the tip of his bow to the instep, and strung the weapon so deftly, that all wondered to see an old man so strong. Next he drew a good smooth arrow from his quiver, and fitted it to the string. Then, looking all around to see the way was clear, he suddenly cast away the wool from his head and face, shouting in a mighty voice, Run! Quick as a flash, the three youths flung the nooses from their necks, and sped across the open woodlands, as the arrow speeds from the bow. Little John also flew towards the covert like a greyhound, while the sheriff and his men gazed after him, all bewildered with the sudden doing. But here the yearman had gone far, the sheriff roused himself. After him, he roared in a mighty voice, for he knew now who it was with whom he had been talking, and wondered that he had not known him before. Little John heard the sheriff's words, and seeing that he could not hope to reach the woodlands before they would be upon him, he stopped and turned suddenly, holding his bow as though he were about to shoot. Stand back, cried he fiercely. The first man that cometh the foot forward, or toucheth finger to bowstring, dieth. At these words, the sheriff's men stood as still as stocks, for they knew right well that Little John would be as good as his word, and that to disobey him meant death. In vain the sheriff roared at them, calling them cowards and urging them forward in a body. They would not budge an inch, but stood and watched Little John as he moved slowly away towards the forest keeping his gaze fixed upon them. But when the sheriff saw his enemy thus slipping betwixt his fingers, he grew mad with his rage, so that his head swam, and he knew not what he did. Then of a sudden, he turned his horse's head, and plunging his spurs into its sides, he gave a great shout, and rising in his stirrups, came down upon little John 
like the wind. Then Little John raised his deadly bow and drew the grey goose feather to his cheek. But alas for him, for ere he could lose the shaft, the good bow that had served him so long split in his hands, and the arrow fell harmless at his feet. Seeing what had happened, the sheriff's men raised a shout, and following their master, came rushing down upon Little John. But the sheriff was ahead of the others, and so caught up with the earman before he could reach the shelter of the woodlands. Then leaning forward, he struck a mighty blow. Little John ducked, and the sheriff's sword turned in his hand, but the flat of his blade struck the other upon the head and smote him down, stunned and senseless. Now I am right glad, said the sheriff, when the men came up and found that little John was not dead, that I have not slain this man in my haste. I would rather lose five hundred pounds than have him die thus instead of hanging, as such a vile thief should do. Go get some water from yonder fountain, William, and pour it over his head. The man did as he was bidden, and presently Little John opened his eyes and looked around him, all dazed and bewildered with the stun of the blow. Then they tied his hands behind him, and lifting him up, set him upon the back of the horses, with his face to its tail, and his feet strapped beneath its belly. So they took him back to the king's head inn, laughing and rejoicing as they went along. But in the meantime, the widow's three sons had gotten safely away and were hidden in the woodlands. Once more the sheriff of Nottingham sat within the king's head. His heart rejoiced within him, for he had at last done which he had sought to do for years, taken little John prisoner. Quoth he to himself, This time tomorrow, the rogue shall hang upon the gallows tree in front of the great gate of Nottingham Town, and thus shall I make my long score with him even. So saying, he took a deep draught of canary. But it seemed as if the sheriff had swallowed a thought with his wine, for he shook his head and put the cup down hastily. Now, he muttered to himself, I would not for a thousand pounds have this fellow slip through my fingers, yet, should his master escape that foul guy of Gisborne, there is no knowing what he may do, for he is the cunningest knave in all the world, this same Robin Hood. Belike I had better not wait until tomorrow to hang the fellow. So saying, he pushed his chair back hastily and going forth from the inn, called his men together. Quoth he, I will wait no longer for the hanging of this rogue, but it shall be done forthwith, and that from the very tree whence he saved those three young villains by stopping betwixt them and the law. So get ye ready straightway. Then once more 
they sat little John upon the horse, with his face to the tail, and so, one leading the horse whereon he sat, and the other riding around him, they went forth to that tree from the branches of which they had thought to hang the poachers. On they went, rattling and jingling along the road, till they came to the tree. Here one of the men spake to the sheriff of a sudden. Your worship, cried he, is not yon fellow coming along towards us, that same guy of Gisborne, who thou didst send into the forest to seek Robin Hood? At these words, the sheriff shaded his eyes and looked eagerly. Why, certain, quoth he, yon fellow is the same. Now, heaven send that he hath slain the master thief, as we will presently slay the man. When little John heard this speech, he looked up, and straightway his heart crumbled away within him, for not only were the man's garments all covered with blood, but he wore Robin Hood's bugle horn and carried his bow and broadsword. How now, cried the sheriff, when Robin Hood, in guy of Gisborne's clothes, had come nigh to them. What luck hath befallen thee in the forest? Why, man, thy clothes are all covered in blood. And thou likest not my clothes, said Robin, in a harsh voice like that of Guy of Gisborne. Thou mayest shut thine eyes, Mary. The blood upon me is that of the vilest outlaw that ever trod the woodlands, and one whom I have slain this day, albeit not without wound to myself. Then out spake little John, for the first time since he had fallen into the sheriff's hands. O thou vile, bloody wretch, I know thee, Guy of Gisborne, for who is there that hath not heard of thee? and cursed thee for thy vile deeds of blood and rapine. Is it by such a hand as thine that the greatest heart that ever beat is stilled in death? Truly, thou art a fit tool for this coward sheriff of Nottingham. Now I die joyfully, nor do I care how I die, for life is naught to me. So spake little John the salt tears rolling down his brown cheeks. But the sheriff of Nottingham clapped his hands for joy. Now, Guy of Gisborne, cried he, if what thou tellest me is true, it will be the best day's doing for thee that ever thou hast done in all thy life. What I have told thee is sooth, and I lie not, said Robin, still in Guy of Gisborne's voice. Look, is not this Robin Hood's sword, and is not this his good bow of you, and is not this his bugle horn? Thinkest thou he would have given them to Guy of Gisborne of his own free will? Then the sheriff laughed aloud for joy. This is a good day, cried he. The great outlaw dead, and his right-hand man in my hands. Ask what thou wilt of me, Guy of Gisborne, and it is thine. Then this I ask of thee, 
said Robin. As I have slain the master, I would now kill the man. Give this fellow's life into my hands, Sir Sheriff. Now thou art a fool, cried the sheriff. Thou mightest have had money enough for a knight's ransom, if thou hadst asked for it. I like ill to let this fellow pass from my hands, but as I have promised, thou shalt have him. I thank thee right heartily for thy gift, cried Robin. Take the rogue down from the horsemen, and lean him against yonder tree, while I show you how we stick a porker whence I come. At these words, some of the sheriff's men shook their heads, for, though they cared not a whit whether Little John were hanged or not, they hated to see him butchered in cold blood. But the sheriff called to them in a loud voice, ordering them to take the yeoman down from the horse and lean him against the tree as the other bade. While they were doing this, Robin Hood strung both his bow and that of Guy of Gisborne, although none of them took notice of him doing this. Then, while Little John stood against the tree, he drew Guy of Gisborne's sharp, double-edged dagger. Fall back, fall back, cried he. Would ye crowd so on my pleasure, ye unmanly knaves? Back, I say, farther yet. So they crowded back, as he ordered, many of them turning their faces away, that they might not see what was about to happen. Come, cried little John, here is my breast. It is meet that the same hand that slew my dear master should butcher me also. I know thee, Guy of Gisborne. Peace, little John, said Robin, in a low voice. Twice thou hast said thou knowest me, and yet thou knowest me not at all. Couldst thou not tell me beneath this wild beast's hide? Yonder, just in front of thee, lie my bow and arrows, likewise my broadsword. Take them when I cut thy bonds. Now, get them quickly. So saying, he cut the bonds, and little John, quick as a wink, leaped forward and caught up the bow and arrows and the broadsword. At the same time, Robin Hood threw back the cowl of the horse's hide from his face and bent Guy of Gisborne's bow with a keen, barbed arrow fitted to the string. Stand back, cried he sternly. The first man that toucheth finger to bowstring dieth. I have slain thy man, Sheriff. Take heed that it is not thy turn next. Then, seeing that Little John had harmed himself, he clapped his bugle horn to his lips and blew three blasts both loud and shrill. Now when the Sheriff of Nottingham saw whose face it was beneath Guy of Gisborne's hood, and when he heard those bugle notes ring in his ear, he felt as if his hour had come. Robin Hood roared he, and without another word, he wheeled his horse in the road and went off in a cloud of dust. The sheriff's men, seeing their master thus fleeing for his life, 
thought that it was not their business to tarry longer. So, clapping spurs to their horses, they also dashed away after him. But though the sheriff of Nottingham went fast, he could not outstrip the cloth-yard arrow. Little John twanged his bowstring with a shout, and when the sheriff dashed in through the gates of Nottingham Town at full speed, a grey goose shaft stuck out behind him with a molting sparrow with one feather in its tail. For a month afterward, the poor sheriff could sit upon naught but the softest cushion that could be gotten for him. Thus the sheriff and a score of men ran away from Robin Hood and Little John, so that when Will Stutley and a dozen or more of the stout yeomen burst from the covert, they saw naught of their master's enemies, for the sheriff and his men were scurrying away in the distance, hidden within a cloud of dust like a thunderstorm. Then they all went back into the forest once more, where they found the widow's three sons, who ran to little John and kissed his hands. But it would not do for them to roam the forest at large any more, so they promised that, after they had gone and told their mother of their escape, they would come that night to the greenwood tree and thenceforth become men of the band. <laughs>